Please turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We'll be focusing on the verses 12 through 16, but to just help us with the context, I'd like to begin reading at verse 1. So, page 981 in your pew Bible, Philippians 3, beginning at verse 1. There the Word of God reads, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless." But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here begins our text. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So far, our text. In response to the preaching, we will sing hymn 43, all six stanzas. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, when it comes to being a true believer, the Bible teaches two basic doctrines, justification and sanctification. Justification means to have your sins declared forgiven by God. He forgives our sins only for the sake of Jesus Christ. So, you and I become righteous in God's eyes because of Christ alone. 
We do no work to obtain that. We offer no obedience to move God to accept us. We're not even able to do anything. Simply by accepting the work of Jesus in faith, God the Father judges us to be free from guilt. And that for us is a relief. It's a beautiful, deep down in your soul relief. It's a shalom when you, you really, really know that your sins don't count against you. That's justification. Well, and then there's this thing called sanctification. Sanctification means the process of becoming holy. Or you could say it this way, the process of becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the process of learning, us learning to say no to ungodliness, no to temptation, no to sin, and learning to live an obedient life out of gratitude to the Lord, learning to do the Lord's will more and more. So on the one hand, God freely forgives us all our sins without us doing any work. That's justification. But on the other hand, God commands us to do work, to be holy, to live a holy life. He commands us and obligates us to be busy following His will, His Word. Do you ever, brothers and sisters, feel a tension between those two things? On the one hand, I receive forgiveness of all my sins and life everlasting without having to do a stitch of, of work, of obedience. I just accept the free gift with faith. But on the other hand, now that I am forgiven, I need to get busy working on holiness. God commands me to chase after knowing Christ, to pursue righteousness. And in the words of our text, He commands us to press on, to strain forward toward the prize. When we hear in the Bible or in a sermon that God forgives us all our sins and has a place for us in heaven, then we, we feel at peace, we feel comforted, we feel relaxed, we feel grateful. But if the passage we're reading or the sermon we're listening to is concentrating on what we need to be doing in a life of holiness, if we're being commanded to do something more than we already are, that can have the opposite effect. That can make us anxious, make us nervous, maybe even upset. It can feel like maybe salvation isn't free after all. I may not have to work up front to get in, but I seem to have to do a lot of work after the fact once I'm in the door. So how is that good news? How is that liberating? Isn't there still a big burden on me to do something as part of my salvation? Isn't there a tension between sanctification and justification? Well, beloved, I hope we'll see together this afternoon that there is no tension and that this text in front of us helps us dissolve the tension as I hope to proclaim it to you under this theme. Let's press on to make the prize our own. We'll see two things, straining eagerly and maturing patiently. 
So there's no doubt that the Holy Spirit wants us, commands us even, to be busy working and growing in holiness. The inspired apostle was already on to this line of thought in the verses 10 and 11 of Philippians 3, where he expresses the wish that he wants to know Christ, and he wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection. He wants to know Jesus more and more, and that takes effort. And he continues that line of thinking in our text, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Well, if the Apostle Paul is pressing on to make it his own, brothers and sisters, that that means we are called to press on to make it our own. And the verbs only get it more intense, verse 13, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Straining forward, he writes, eagerly straining. Do you hear in that the call not just to be active in your Christian faith, but more like Hussein Bolt running the 100-meter dash, straining, pursuing, running as hard as you can, pressing on until you capture the prize. It's the kind of text that leaves you breathless, doesn't it? Maybe when you hear those commands, it leaves you a bit deflated, a bit down in the dumps. How, how, can, I, how can I do this, what Paul writes here? I don't feel very energetic always. And if I'm honest, I don't always feel very motivated to be running the race of faith. I'd rather walk or shuffle some days. I definitely do want the prize at the end of the race. I want to finish the race of faith, but when I read this exhortation, it feels heavy. It feels like a a big responsibility, like something beyond me. How am I supposed to emulate Paul and get this hunger to run after Christ? We could put the question in more technical terms. I know that I am justified by faith alone through grace alone, in Christ alone, and that comforts me deeply. But how do I pursue sanctification, and here's the trick, and stay comforted? How do I exert energy as a believer in a life of obedience and not lose that that comfort, not develop a sinking feeling that my salvation depends in some small way on my efforts in sanctification when I know all my efforts are weak and failing. Well, brothers and sisters, we can avoid that sinking feeling by by keeping those two doctrines very, very tight together, just as Paul does. For justification and sanctification are not two pieces, two different pieces in the Christian life, but together they make up the Christian life. They're two sides of the same coin. You really can't have one without the other. And that means there is no tension between those two things. They're one single package of goodness and grace. 
Earlier in this same chapter, chapter 3, Paul has stressed the wonder of being declared righteous in Christ alone, justification. It's probably one of the strongest chapters that teaches us about justification. It's got some of the most powerful language about justification in the New Testament. Paul, you'll recall, before he was brought to faith, he used to think as a Pharisee that he had to make up his own righteousness, that he had to justify himself in God's courtroom by obeying all of God's laws. But when Jesus found Paul, the light was turned on for Paul, and he, he confesses something different now in verse 8 of this chapter. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Then it's verse 9, being found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own. That was the Pharisee's way, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Paul says in this, these verses, it, I count everything as loss. I count it as refuse, as garbage. Take it out with the trash, all my former works of obedience. It doesn't mean nothing because I can't earn Salvation, I can't earn forgiveness with the works of the law. But Christ gives it to me because He earned it for me. He's rejoicing in that here in chapter 3. He does not have to earn salvation. It's a gift given to Him by faith in Jesus Christ. So with this understanding of justification, very clearly before Him, He moves on to talk about sanctification in our text. And it's that understanding of what God gives to him in Christ freely, which provides the motive or the incentive for Paul and for us to chase after Christ and to grow in sanctification, to grow in holiness. Paul uses different verbs to speak about this process. He speaks in verse 8 about that I may gain Christ. Then in verses 8 and 10, that I may know Christ, but they come down to the same thing. His reasoning goes like this, since Christ provides Paul with forgiveness, with peace, with life everlasting, in short, with salvation, Paul now wants to join himself to Jesus more and more. He wants to feed off of Christ spiritually. He wants to become like Christ in his lifestyle, in his thinking, in his speaking, in his acting. He's hungering for Christ, you see. It's, it's like a, a dying man, a man dying of thirst in the desert, finally finding a spring of water. If you were that man, what would you want to do? Well, you would, you would want to drink from that water and drink again and drink more. You don't want to be away from that source of water. It's like finally, finally finding a person to love and hold as your partner in life. When you find that, when God gives that to you as a gift, what do you want to do? You want to spend time with him or her to get to know that person, to develop as close a bond as you can with that person. Well, this is how Paul is thinking and speaking about the Lord Jesus. In finding Jesus, Paul has found his God and Savior. Paul has found his holy friend and Lord. Paul has found the source of everlasting life. Paul at last has found the person who gives meaning to life, 
who gives purpose to life. And so he can't help but run after Jesus, to run toward the oasis of life. Paul desires to spend his days getting to know Jesus as deeply and as personally as he can. Having been justified, he now deeply desires to be sanctified, to become like his Savior. And the wonderful truth of the gospel, beloved, is that both of these things, justification as well as sanctification, they both are the work of Christ. You know, I think we're usually clear on the, the first part of that. When it comes to justification, we're usually clear that that has everything to do with the work of the Lord Jesus in His life of obedience, His life of suffering, especially His death on the cross and His resurrection. All of that was His doing alone, 100%. We weren't involved. But in sanctification, we hear the Bible call us into action, as in the words of our text. And there's plenty of commands throughout the New Testament, and you have plenty of commands in the Old Testament. Psalm 119, which we sang, urges us to follow the will of the Lord, to obey His law. And, and that's often where the confusion comes in and can cause mixed feelings for us, because all of a sudden, we're involved. And we get this uneasy feeling. It feels like Jesus, after Jesus did His incredible work on the cross, we still need to do something to complete the picture. We still have to offer a life of holiness, or at least the pursuit of holiness, in order to be found acceptable to God. That's often what clouds our understanding of these commandments and of sanctification. That's how we think of it. But look at verse 12 of our text. The Holy Spirit teaches us something different here. Paul says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. That's a beautiful little sentence, isn't it? And the key word there is because. Paul is stressing the underlying cause of all of his efforts and all of our efforts. I press on, not because of me, but because of Christ. He says, the only reason I'm chasing after Jesus is because Jesus first chased after me and He found me. Isn't that always the way it is with God and with us? Adam and Eve, our first parents, they ran away from God. But the Lord came seeking them in the garden. Adam, come here. I want to talk with you. And he gave him a word of grace, a word of salvation. The Paul, or Saul as he was called, was filled with hatred for Jesus and persecuted his church. But Jesus came looking for Paul. And Jesus caught up with Paul on the road to Damascus. And he converted Paul. And me, personally, me, I was conceived and born in sin and naturally wanted to turn away from God. But God came to me as a child. God in His grace had me baptized and extended to me His covenant of love. And, I, and as I grew up, Christ sent His Spirit to settle in my heart and give me faith. 
I too was like Saul and like Adam and Eve, lost. You were lost, but by grace we have been found. Christ Jesus has made me, has made you his own. More literally, Paul says, because Christ has apprehended me or, or taken hold of me, I may now take hold of him. Do you see, brothers and sisters, how the Lord Jesus stirs up in us both the motivation as well as the ability to chase after him? Do you see that he who justifies us also sets about to sanctify us? He fills us with his spirit and, and empowers us to chase after him. The spirit is like the engine behind our efforts. The work we do, the obedience we offer, is not our own work that we do in our own strength. It's not independent work. We are certainly involved, but Christ puts the desire in our hearts to know Him more and more, and then He fills us with His Spirit, and He directs us by His Word so that we actually start to get to know Him more and more, and we start to become more and more like the Lord Jesus. It's a little bit like the superheroes. You know, there's a few of them in the movies these days. There's some on TV, too. There's, there's one called Flash. Maybe the kids might know Flash, the superhero. Flash is the teenager Barry. And Barry, before he became the Flash, is just an ordinary kid, just an ordinary young fella with average abilities who was one day struck by lightning mixed with radiation. When he woke up from the coma, he discovered that he could run at the speed of lightning. Suddenly, Barry could do things he could never do before. And Barry takes this new gift he's been given, and he sets out to help people and to fight crime. He becomes the Flash. Well, before we were Christians, before the Holy Spirit lives in us, we were like Barry before the bolt of lightning, just an ordinary kid, limited. And spiritually speaking, we were in our sins. We were even dead in our sins. We were self-centered, not serving anybody else, certainly not serving God. But once Jesus grabs hold of us and gives us a new heart and fills us with His Spirit, that's like getting hit by lightning. And He gives us a new outlook and a new desire with new abilities. We now see who Christ is, who He really is, and we want to get to closer to Him. We now see the Lord Jesus as King, as Savior. We want to serve Him with this new gift we have. And like Barry, without his special gift, cannot run fast and cannot help people and cannot fight crime. So, without the gift of the Holy Spirit, we cannot serve Jesus. We cannot pursue Him. But with the gift, with the Holy Spirit, with regeneration, we may begin to make efforts so all of our efforts are the result of Christ at work in us. 
We have to use the gifts. That's our responsibility. But it's the power of Christ in us. And using these gifts, brothers and sisters, if you only remember one thing about this sermon, if you only go home with one thought, let it be this. Using these gifts in sanctification does not change our standing with God. Using our gifts does not change our standing with God. What I mean is, a bad day pursuing Christ, so there's a lot of mistakes and faltering, and we've, we've been foolish with our decisions. A bad day does not call into question our justification. It doesn't. And a good day in sanctification doesn't make our forgiveness of sins more certain. Our service does not determine how God looks at us. It's only Christ's service that determines how the Father looks at us. We are in Christ by faith, so it's what Christ has done that counts before God. So, brothers and sisters, in a very real sense, we can relax in our life of sanctification. We can relax, and it's kind of oxymoronic, but it's still true. We can relax even as we're striving toward the prize. It's a paradox. The relaxation comes from the peace in our hearts that we are forgiven of our sins and that the work of pursuing Christ adds not an iota to our standing with God. That's where the relaxation is at. We're running hard, but there's nothing on the line in terms of salvation. All we have to concentrate on is using those gifts to love the Lord, to live for the Lord with thanksgiving and joy. This is the growing inclination in our hearts. This is what comes from drinking from the spring of life found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Love for your God and Savior, service toward our neighbor. Why wouldn't we want to do that more and more? Paul urges us to do this twice over in our text, and then in verse 13 adds, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize. Forgetting what lies behind. What, what does he mean by that? Are we to forget everything in our past? Are we to forget that we ever sinned? Well, the apostle cannot mean that because he's just finished recalling his own past and his own sins, uh, persecuting the church in particular. And in other letters, he recalls at length how he was a persecutor of the church, and then he goes on to tell of what Jesus has done for him. It's actually quite healthy and very biblical to remember our sin and the pit out of which we have been rescued by Jesus so that we may remain ever thankful. What Paul wants us to forget is the same thing that a runner has to forget. That's the image in the background here, the image of running a race 
If, for example, you're running a marathon of, I think it's 42 kilometers these days, they count as a marathon. Well, if you're in this long two-hour, three-hour run, around the halfway mark, you could be tempted to start thinking about how far you've come. And your thoughts go to how much ground you've covered and just, just how, how accomplished that is in itself. And you lose sight of the end towards which you had started out toward. And if that thought takes root at, say, the 20-kilometer mark, well, at 25 kilometers, as the race is getting harder, and at 30 kilometers, you're saying to yourself, well, I've come quite a long piece. You know, a lot of people dropped out earlier. A lot of people never even get this far. You know, I, I'd be quite all right if I stopped here and I didn't go any further. This is quite far to get 30 kilometers in a 42-kilometer race. And you can talk yourself into standing still, into resting on your laurels. A runner, therefore, must never concentrate on what's behind. He has to forget it. And he has to keep one thing in mind, the end goal. And that's how it is in the race of faith. We need to be pursuing a knowledge of love of Christ. The goal is perfect understanding. The goal is intimate acquaintance and spotless imitation of our Savior. I can't rest on my laurels in this Christian pursuit. I can't say, I've come quite far in this race. I'm enough like Jesus. I don't need to work on this anymore. No, the goal is perfection. So I run toward that goal with all the energy that the Holy Spirit can and will muster within me. And then in this race, together patiently, we will mature in Christ. For the apostle knows that not all runners in the race of faith are at the same point in this, in this race. Not all runners, not all Christians fully understand the need to be straining forward even forgetting what is behind. That's why Paul adds in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Maturity in this context means getting closer to that goal of knowing Christ and acting fully like Christ sinlessly. The goal of perfection mentioned in verse 12. Paul also talks about maturing as a believer in Ephesians 4, which we read. In that chapter, he makes the point that the Lord Jesus had sent gifts to the church in order to help the church mature, and the gifts he identifies are the office bearers, preachers, teachers, elders, we could add deacons. They are given to the church for the work of ministry, I'm quoting, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, the knowledge of the Son, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Isn't that something? That's what we're aiming for, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Hebrews 5 and 6, 6 speak in the same way. There are believers, says those chapters, who are like babes in the faith, who have not grown much in their understanding of Christ. And so the writer has to uh, 
reprimand them. And then he exhorts in chapter 6, verse 1, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And Paul in our text is urging us to go on into the maturity of, of getting to know Christ better and better. Now, Paul doesn't say this in order to insult anybody. He's not saying this to divide the congregation into two camps, the, the mature and the immature. This is not meant to let people look down their noses at other people and, and deem them less mature. Oh, they're not very mature, you know. To say such a thing wouldn't be very mature, would it? To arrogantly think others are less than yourself because they are supposedly not as far along in the race of faith as you, not as advanced in the journey, that's not like Jesus Christ at all, is it? That kind of thinking only shows our own immaturity. Notice that Paul includes himself among those who are still running, still in the hunt, still chasing and pursuing the knowledge of Christ. So, in one sense, not even the apostle Paul is fully mature. As he said earlier, he has not attained perfection. Only the immature would think such a thing. But Paul's point is this, we can mature and we must mature in knowing and becoming like Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. It's Christ working in us, so the ability is there. Now comes the question. Brothers and sisters, are you maturing in Christ? Are you trying in this race of faith? Are you pursuing with energy? Ask yourself, what methods am I using to grow closer to the Lord, to become more like the Lord Jesus? What's my game plan? Where are you in the race of faith? In a race, you can tell how much ground you've covered. And while I mentioned earlier, we, we can't concentrate on that. It is still good to see the progress that you've made and to check off that you're making headway toward the goal. So, are you making headway toward the goal? Do you see progress in your life? How are you different now than you were two years ago in the race of faith, in your maturity and becoming more like the Lord Jesus? And if you don't see any difference in your life, if you think, well, I'm, I'm kind of the same as I was two years ago, I don't know, what are you going to do to try and change that? That's for yourself personally, but what about for your neighbor, say your husband or your wife? Are you speaking with and encouraging your life partner on this journey? Are you speaking with your sons and daughters, having conversations as they grow up, encouraging them and urging them to develop their relationship with the Lord Jesus? For notice that Paul speaks in the plural. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way, only let us hold true what we have attained. Could be that in your life right now, you are very active in pursuing sanctification, and that's excellent. The Holy Spirit is busy in your life. Excellent. Keep it up. Keep praying for that. Keep going with that. But 
do you have an eye, do I have an eye for those around us, our family, the family of God, the church? Do you look to help your brothers and sisters in the congregation to encourage them with your company, with your friendship, with your interest in their lives, with assisting them in the Bible study groups, with being part of social clubs or whatever there might be in the congregation, with being involved in different ways so that you can help others in the race of faith. Do not be, brothers and sisters, a solitary I in a sea of me's. You know, that's how the world lives. There's, there's so, everybody's like an I, an island, you could say, in the sea of me's. Christ has brought you and everybody else and me together in His body, so now we are us. And Christ loves the us. He loves His church. You are part of the we. I am part of the we. He loves the us. He loves the church. And so as I grow in my love for the Lord Jesus Christ, I must at the same time be growing in my love for His congregation. And that's got to show. We're in this race together, beloved. We're all running and we're straining side by side, eager to get to the goal, to the prize. We are maturing in our knowledge of Christ patiently but persistently. Let's go forward together. Let's, let's leave no straggler behind. Let's move onward in this race until we all together reach the prize and be with our Lord in perfection. Amen. Let's sing about